George Lucas has created some of the most enduring and profitable films of our time. They're classics because they allow everyone from 6 to 60 to have a good time. Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, The Return of the Jedi, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and last year's hit TV movie, The Ewok Adventure, are all the handiworks of George Lucas. And this Sunday, another Ewok movie will premiere on TV. It's called Ewoks, The Battle for Endor, and America had an exclusive chance to see firsthand what the making of an Ewok movie is all about. The village, it's being attacked! Mommy! Mace! Where are you? Daddy! Daddy! I know you're the keeper of the power. Daddy, they killed Mommy and Mace. We now return to Ewoks, The Battle for Endor. fans and move milkers everywhere welcome to episode number 234 of blast points this is jason this is gabe ewok month continues tonight's continuing fantasy adventure of sindel and the ewoks contains some scenes of suspense and jeopardy which may be too intense for very young viewers parents are encouraged to watch with their children Lucasfilm presents the ewok adventure next the tiny forest moon of Endor is home to a race of small furry creatures known as Ewoks. We can't stop. Ewoks movies didn't stop, so we're not going to stop once the ball gets rolling. There's no stopping it. It's like it's like a ball in like an Ewok catapult that's taken like four Ewoks to pull that catapult ball back. And now it's just flying through the air. We don't know where it's going to land. We got a few more weeks of flying through the air before we crash and burn. <laughs> this week, we are talking about the one and only, the legendary, the mythic, the battle for Endor. My favorite of the Ewok movies, like I was saying last week. Wait, if you had to pick a favorite of the two, which one would you would be your personal favorite? Battle for Endor. Hands down. <laughs> it's one of the wildest things, in my opinion, that Lucasfilm has ever put out. And like we say all the time, if you step back and look at 
the stuff from every era of Lucasfilm. That's a lot of wild stuff. But this is maybe the weirdest and the wildest of all of it. Well, that's the thing. It's like the first movie, for what it was, was like that. just figuring out what this thing, this Ewoks TV thing is. And with this one, they, they started Guns Blazing. They knew what they were going to make, and they made a what everything it could be. Maybe it's faster, more intense. Maybe it's just weirder and wackier and wilder. But... Yeah, it just really builds off the first one, and it's all killer, no filler. It's almost too rich for my blood. <laughs> it's it's almost too much Star Wars. I hate to say it, but it's like we say all the time that there's a little bit of Star Wars, and it's the beans, and you got to put some water on it to drink coffee. You got to water down those beans. Battle for Endor is just the raw beans. It's for for as little hands on. Lucas was this seems more yeah straight from the bean Lucas than the first movie and as much as the first movie was insane for starting with the Ewok family stuff and no Ewok speaking English and it just being like the holiday special and totally crazy the decision to just say screw it Wicked's gonna speak English is somehow even more outrageous than having him not speak English <sighs> and it is fun to go back because as everyone who saw phantom menace and like where did this come from where's the george lucas we knew used to know the phantom menace george lucas was right there with caravan of courage and battle for endor and especially for battle for endor like that's that lucas was there all along (laughs) he doesn't come out very much you know he sees a shadow runs outside in the sun and runs away but he wasn't in total hiding. He was he was stretching his legs with these Ewok movies, so it shouldn't have been a surprise when Phantom Menace came out that there was some wild stuff going on. Well, and the the timeline for the battle for Endor is really interesting because we're going to talk about it a lot. And the topic that comes up for Battle for Endor over and over again is that it's incredibly dark and just kind of a weird, nasty movie. It's kind of like sits right beside Temple of Doom in a lot of ways. I mean, Temple of Doom was 84. This was 85. But the, the whole darkness timeline here is real. It's, it's kind of fascinating. Yeah, because Lucas's divorce was kind of made official and finalized in 83. So in 84, he was busy with Temple of Doom and Caravan of Courage. So he was definitely in the beginning of the the dark phase of Lucasness, the gloom and doom. And then by battle for Endor, he's like just full on and everything's got to be about death. And it's, it is interesting when you think like if caravan of courage is about family, that battle for Endor is about a broken family and a single parent basically picking up the pieces in a way. And it's just funny as, as wild and out there as Lucas stuff gets. And even when other people are writing it, the fact that he's there, it's like somehow his life gets squeezed into these movies in in subtle ways. It's all, it's all right there. It's all. <laughs> George Lucas is Wilford Brimley. It's like poetry. It rhymes. You got to write from what you know. But now we know if Wilford Brimley is George Lucas and, and, Aubrey Miller Sindel is his daughter, Amanda, who is Wicket in his real life, or is Wicket playing Wicket in his real life, too? I don't know. (laughs) 
So something we were talking about last week with our memories of the Ewok movies. Since then, I thought of something kind of important with the whole timeline. Also, like the George Lucas darkness timeline, like timeline of personal experience with the Ewok movies. Because we talked about like we remembered when they were on the air in the 80s and our fuzzy kind of memories of that. But there was all the time afterwards, like in the mid 90s when I got the VHS tapes. And I remember like my memory of that was just like, I've got to get those movies on VHS. They were great. There's two more Star Wars movies out there. (laughs) And I remember like watching them again on VHS kind of in the 90s and being like, oh, (laughs) and really my renaissance with the Ewok films, I feel like that it was the night before we left for Celebration Anaheim in, what was it, April 2015. I watched both the Ewok movies back-to-back. I got out the DVD, which I hadn't done for a while, and I watched both of them in one night. And I I fell in love with these movies again. Yeah, I've had a weird relationship, too, that I liked them when they came out and remembered liking them, and I swear I've seen them again, but I never bought the VHS for whatever reason and with the DVD I was like oh I should get that and then by the next thing I knew it was out of print so I hadn't watched them a lot until just the last few years kind of watching them again and really enjoying it they're weird but it's almost kind of like I think the thing we talk about with Phantom Menace where it's like you go back and watch them and they're kind of Star Wars but they're kind of not and the fact that they're okay being just kind of star wars is actually really refreshing now when there's so much stuff that is star wars that tries so hard to be so star wars where oh it's got an x-wing and a tie fighter and all this stuff and where these it's just like there's no star wars in the title there's no no one says anything about stormtroopers of the empire anything in the story it's literally the only thing that you even know it's star wars is you have you have to have seen return of the jedi basically to know that it has something to do with star wars because they aren't even called star wars the ewok adventure or or anything like that so they're just barely associated with star wars and i think that's kind of what's fun about it because it's still that george lucas craziness but really kind of off the rails in its own thing and the really interesting thing with Battle for Endor, like what you were talking about, is somehow it's a lot more Star Wars than Caravan of Courage because it does have like a spaceship. It's got two spaceships. Yeah, two. It's got blasters. It's got like laser blasts. It's a little bit faster and more intense. But then, yeah, the weird thing with this movie, though, is it somehow has all those things and somehow is even farther away from being Star Wars than Caravan of Courage was, which had none of that stuff. Well, what's funny is it's almost like George Lucas, the editor, watched Caravan of Courage and is like, you know what? We can cut that whole family out of this movie, the next one. We don't even need them. Let's just cut down to just the core of I like Sindel, I like Wicket, and let's throw them in with a whole new cast of characters. It is a lot like Temple of Doom in that way, where it doesn't try to be the same movie again as much as it's still on Endor and it's still the Ewoks and it's still, you know, going to a castle. Like, it's almost the same thing, but it's different enough to be its own thing. Well, and you can even apply that same thinking to The Empire Strikes Back and Attack of the Clones 
Or even you could say that's something Ryan Johnson was reaching for with The Last Jedi and achieved it, where it's the way to do the sequel. You do a little bit of what people expect, but also go in a completely different direction. Right. Maybe Battle for Endor went too far in that other direction. <laughs> I don't know. That's up for debate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll see when we get into it. But it's it's funny because you remember the beginning being kind of horribly just cruel. But after that, it's really a, a very sweet movie about a lonely old man and how he like finds love again with these with the with the small child and a little bear person like. I, I don't know. It even like kind of getting a little choked up in parts because it's so sweet. But the fact that it is, it's so sweet mixed in with seven foot prune face alien dudes with swords and laser guns riding horses. And then there's this like sweet little grandpa drama. Monday. From the creator of the Star Wars saga. I want the power. Lucasfilm presents the greatest adventure. There's no escape for you, my little one. Ewoks, the battle for Endor. Battle discretion is suggested. We now continue with tonight's Disney special. So how did the battle for Endor get made? What was the story? How did it happen? There was always the deal for the second movie. Like we were talking about last week, there's ABC wanted a series, but they were open to the idea of doing another one. And they did the first one so kind of fast and inexpensive that they were like, yeah, we can do another one. That's a great experiment. Let's do it. Why not? And Caravan of Courage got big ratings. It did big business in international box office. And yeah, the idea with this one too versus Caravan of Courage was they knew what they were making here. They knew this was going to be a made-for-TV 90-minute Sunday night movie of the week, and they could kind of plan it a little bit better in that way instead of you know whatever they had, an hour or a half hour, and padding it out with horse chases and <laughs> more explosions. <laughs> so John Cordy was asked to come back, but he couldn't do it. Or maybe he didn't want to. Who knows? So five candidates were picked. And we don't know who they were. But they chose brothers Jim and Ken Wheat. Who didn't have a whole lot of experience before kind of coming on to what then was called Ewoks 2. They finished their first movie, which was titled Lies. And they had sent a copy of this movie to Amblin to kind of get a gig on Amazing Stories, which was Spielberg's show on NBC, which was hiring a lot of young and up-and-coming directors to direct these little stories of the week over there on Amazing Stories. And somehow their tape of the the movie Lies and kind of their ambition of working on this made it from Amblin to Lucasfilm, and they got on the radar of Tom Smith and George Lucas. And they were flown out to Northern California and started taking part in these two four-hour-long story sessions that were George Lucas, the Wheat Brothers, Joe Johnson, Phil Tippett, and Tom Smith. And they were just hashing out what the story of Ewoks 2 could be. And still, like, the Wheat Brothers are still such an odd choice because after the first movie they did after The Bell for Endor was Nightmare on Elm Street 4 
And then later they went on to do The Fly 2, and probably they're most well-known for writing the original screenplay for Pitch Black. Everything they did after Battle for Endor was like horror kind of based. Which is fitting. <laughs> totally fitting. But still weird that they're hired to do this, this teddy bear kids movie, but it still weirdly fits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's mid, early, early mid 80s. Lucas, that's what he was into. So they're in these like story sessions and the the Wheat Brothers are talking about some of their favorite movies when they were growing up, like Disney stuff, like Swiss Family Robinson and Treasure Island. They're kind of talking about a story like that. And Lucas supposedly says at this meeting, I want it to be all about death. <laughs> I want it to be all about death. Nuts to all those ideas. This one's got kids got to learn about dying, which... Yeah, you know, he was going through a dark period. Well, and I do think there's there's some truth probably to the idea of, you know, kids do need to learn about death because it does seem like there's that part of George Lucas that tries to make his stuff. Kids can learn something about the world, and that's his reason to have myths and fables and that sort of thing. And if he's going through a dark time and his daughter was going through you know, the separation of her parents that he probably did think there was a need for kids to learn to deal with trauma. But in his way, you know, of it being creatures in spaceships. So as as funny as it is as a quote, there probably is a little a little kernel of some sincerity in that, maybe. Yeah, true. I, I you know, I can see that. Because in the end, as much as he just wanted to have TV stuff, he really did make these movies for her, his daughter who loved Ewoks so much. And maybe he couldn't talk to Amanda, but he could make an Ewok movie to explain how he felt. <laughs> well, and Lucas had recently watched the 1930s Shirley Temple Heidi movie with Amanda. And he, during these four-hour story sessions, was kind of talking about how he wanted it to be kind of like Heidi, which... Aubrey Miller, Sindel, and Shirley Temple. There's a real clear line there. And kind of the whole thing with Heidi, like orphaned with a grumpy old man in a cabin. It's kind of all right there. And if you go back and watch the Shirley Temple Heidi, the grandfather, the old man, looks exactly like Wilford Brimley does in this movie. And that's, hey, that's Star Wars. Let's take some an old movie and put it in space and... That's our starting point. I know you hated Tobias and Gretchen, but you've got to take their daughter just the same. Get out of here. Here she is. Her name's Heidi. How do you do, Grandfather? I'm very glad to see you. Aren't you going to show me our house? April 85, they start working on a script. And there's a crazy story right on how... A script was written originally by someone, and to this day, no one knows who actually wrote this first version of the script. Yeah, because the Weed Brothers say there was a writer who was hired. They say it was April 1st, the day that the the script came in, which almost sounds like it's a joke at this point. (laughs) But they basically say it was all gloom and doom, and they thought if George ever saw it, the project would be canceled. So they said, we're writers, we could write it. So they just, at that point, decided to write their own version of the script. Like they locked themselves in like a hotel room somewhere in Northern California and just hashed out the screenplay for The Battle for Endor. They were working with storyboard artist Paul Chadwick, 
who later went on to do the Dark Horse comic Concrete, a ton of other really cool stuff. And Lucas, every once in a while, would chime in on the screenplay. He suggested that the bad guys be seven feet tall, and they kind of came up with the character of Teak, like this little creature that lived with Wilfred Brimley. And George Lucas, I guess, suggested that Teak would move really fast. So those are his contributions. <laughs> they had a $7 million budget, and in May of 1985 then they're off and rolling aubrey miller is back the dad from caravan of courage chose not to come back so they got paul gleason who was in the breakfast club and the cop from die hard which is odd i always thought it was weird that he was in the battle for endor just as the dad that dies in the beginning it's i was like didn't we just see you in die hard yeah well you know maybe he needed a new rug for his house or something i think that how that stuff works it's like the salary what he got paid was probably exactly what he needed to buy something so it was like it was afternoon's work and you got to tell a story about a bird (laughs) (laughs) carol struken uh who later was in uh twin peaks played the bad guy tarak and cyan phillips who had just been in dune played sheral the witch, who we'll have a lot more to say about in an upcoming episode here in Ewok Month. And Eric Walker returned as Mace, although originally he had heard that his character Mace was going to be killed off screen. And so he fought to be in the movie in the beginning and not be killed off screen and at least kind of go down with a fight. And Nikki Batello was cast as Teak, who originally she was a stand-in for, for Wicket. You know, maybe we can blame Eric Walker for the beginning being so dark because maybe everyone would have died off screen and it would have been a little less of a gut punch without having to see the mom's legs and Mace and the dad if they would have just been like cut to the movie and Sindel's sad because her parents were killed by marauders. <laughs> maybe it's all Eric Walker's fault. <laughs> yeah, because if, if Mace is going to be there, then you got to have the mom and then you got to have the dad. It's, again, they were doing it the, the same way as Caravan of Courage where they, a lot of matte paintings, a lot of stop motion with Phil Tippett and all the, the castle sets were all done with painted styrofoam. You had Joe Johnston shooting all the second unit he did all the the action at the end with the marauder in the woods and kind of cool teaks like fast moving effect was the same process they used in return of the jedi just doing it one frame per second versus the usual 24 frames per second so they were still doing kind of cool ilm stuff the map paintings in battle for endor are just as gorgeous as caravan of courage well what's neat too and actually tying into now with mandalorian some of the visual effects they did were kind of even more old school of doing a lot of in-camera tricks as far as like some of the, I think some of the castle shots are they do the thing where they'll have a miniature version closer to the camera, but from the camera's point of view, it looks like it's really small in the distance. And then they also did the, some of the matte shots where they would only expose the bottom half of the frame when they were filming the live action. And then they would, reuse the same film and cover up the part they already shot and then expose the rest of the film with the matte painting. So like the top would be, you know, the matte and the bottom would be live action, but they didn't do that as an optical effect later. They actually did it on the first run of the film, which is kind of 
what with the volume Mandalorian is trying to do of, of in-camera VFX as opposed to things that have to be done in post-production. So it's like that all kind of started way back on Battle for Endor. It's, again, it's the trial run for everything that came later or is happening now. <laughs> There's a lot of things that they reused. Tarok's throne and his evil castle is pretty much made of speeder bike parts if you look at it really close and in one scene when the witch and Sindel are in jail, which also is kind of a really dark part that <laughs> there's a bunch of Ewoks in jail and Sindel's in jail, but their jail cells, the, the bars are the, the sacrificial cages from the temple of doom. If you look really close and a lot of the, the battle at the end with the marauders and the Ewoks, they were going through and Joe Johnston was like, we have a bunch of, unused footage of Ewoks from Return of the Jedi of like Ewoks blowing horns or Ewoks throwing stones or like shooting arrows. So a lot of the scenes you're seeing of Ewok action at the end of Battle for Endor is previously unseen Return of the Jedi stuff, which is kind of mind blowing. It's it looks like Rogue One when we all freaked out, like, oh my gosh, that's real footage from A New Hope of of Gold Leader and Red Leader, and it's like, well, they were doing that way back in uh, Battle for Endor, man. That's that's wicked from Return of the Jedi. We never saw that shot before. So on May twentieth, filming begins once again, pretty much in Skywalker Ranch's backyard. And pretty much the biggest thing from the filming of the Battle for Endor is the Wilford Brimley issue. There's a lot of talk about Wilford Brimley on the set as Noah. And when, when he unfortunately passed away just, just a couple months ago, just in August of this year, you heard a little bit of this coming back up. And we, I think we were saying that more people talked about Battle for Endor in one day than had talked about it in the last 30 years. Yeah, it's interesting because watching the movie, and I and it's funny because I didn't read about this stuff until after rewatching the movie. And while watching the movie, I remember thinking a couple times, like, man, Wilford Brimley, it's, he's like Mark Hamill. Like, he's acting with the Ewoks and the puppets and stuff, and he's doing a great job. But then you go and read what happened on set, and it sounds like Wilford Brimley had no patience for puppets and really didn't want to act with people in suits and creatures and things and was kind of not acting. He really was that grouchy. <laughs> yeah, supposedly he really did not get along with the Wheat Brothers and called them on the set the Idiot Brothers. So originally Teak was a puppet, and he didn't want to act with the puppet. Yeah, I think that was part of it, why, why Teak ended up becoming a person in a suit. There's also issues where whenever there was visual effects shots, he just either couldn't understand it or refused to understand it because they, I guess they would say like, come around this rock and look at this castle. And he'd say, what castle? And they would say like, well, we're going to put it in later. And he's like, I don't see a castle. <laughs> or there was a scene where they, where he was in the house watching Teak run out and he said, I don't see anything. And they're like, well, We'll put the character in later. And he's like, you want me to look at something I can't see? I can't do that. And they had to have someone dress in like a fur coat or something and walk around and pretend to be what he's looking at. Which is weird because he had already done Cocoon at this point. Cocoon had a ton of special effects. Didn't the thing already come out too? Yes, he did the thing. <laughs> so 
Unless he just had a horrible experience on the thing. And maybe that he didn't like the effects part in Cocoon. I don't know. You know, it's Wilford Brimley. He's a mystery. Supposedly, he at a certain point, he refused to work with the Wheat Brothers, or as he called them, the Idiot Brothers. And he would only allow himself to be directed by Joe Johnston. So Joe Johnston kind of had to like begrudgingly come in and be like, I guess I have to direct these scenes because he just wouldn't even talk to the the Wheat Brothers. And at one point, it got so bad that they had to call the boss. Like Lucas had to step in, supposedly, right? Yeah, it sounded like Lucas and Thomas Smith had to come in. And basically, I think the article says lay down the law with him and kind of put him back in line, let him know what's going on. But it's funny because, they, yeah, they say that there's like the Wheat Brothers would tell Joe Johnston what the scene was. Joe Johnston would go direct it and the Wheat Brothers would have to hide like out of out of sight of Wilford Brimley while they did the scene. Something like that. I don't know. It's insane. Back in August... There was a a video going around, a viral video, that somehow I missed where people had discovered that they thought Wilfred Brimley swore, said the F word in the Battle for Endor. It's it's questionable if he does. I don't think he does, but it it could sound kind of like it. Okay, now let's power up this old tin can. What if it doesn't work? Then we're really in trouble. I did not see that, but it makes sense because the Ewoks are, you can tell when the Ewoks are swearing because their, their Ewok swear words are, are very close to English swear words in a way. So, you know, maybe he had, he made up his own space F word <laughs> to say. But it, it was kind of sweet, like back in August, like even Aubrey Miller came out from wherever she is and had a comment about how much she enjoyed working with Wilford Brimley and how she remembered how he was very sweet to her. But then also in that same weekend, Paul Chadwick, storyboard artist, wrote on Twitter, I storyboarded Ewok's Battle for Endor and report Mr. Mr. Brimley was a kind and gentle with the Moppet who played Sindel. Less so the directors. He had a first day I'm the boss tantrum and everyone stood around waiting for the hat he decided he needed. It set the tone. So... What was going on on the set of Battle for Endor, we will never know. But I will say the hat makes the man, and I can't imagine Noah without his hat. Is that what that makes me? Well, that was fun. All the little guys in that movie, <laughs> they were from The Wizard of Oz, a lot of them. And I got to be friends with them. It was okay. It was all right. Worst two directors I've ever been around. <laughs> so towards the end of June, uh, filming ends. Lucas keeps cutting the movie and... The opposite of Caravan of Courage, it keeps getting shorter and shorter. And at some point, they're they're concerned that it's too short for ABC. And Lucas is just like, I'll figure it out later. And then something comes in here called the Lucas Factor, right? What's Yeah, the Lu- it's, it's the George Factor. So basically, after his experience with Caravan of Courage, the producer, Tom Smith, basically 
factored in in the budget something he called the George factor. And it was basically putting aside a chunk of money to cover any costs that came up, shooting any new scenes that Lucas came up during filming or editing. Because as we all know now, the, the George Lucas way of making a movie is you shoot a bunch of stuff, you cut it all together, and then you watch it and you realize, I wish I had some more stuff. And then you go and you film some more stuff, which is kind of the way a lot of movies are made now. But yeah, so of the two Ewok movies, this one had the George factor in the budget so they could go back and add all the craziness that Lucas came up with. And it sounds like the Wheat brothers were really happy with that. They said that that basically gave them the ability to go back and really make a better movie because they could fill in any holes or little bits they wanted to. But I think the best part is it seems like the main thing they used the the George factor money for was to add a dragon fighting a wicket in a, uh, hang glider scene i think that the crazy thing with battle for endor where it's it's dark in the beginning and yeah it is kind of sweet the rest of the way but there's these little glimmers of darkness of evilness throughout and one of them i think is the fact that the wicket makes a hang glider made of bones (laughs) he constructs a hang glider made of bones but he does it to save his best friend (laughs) whatever you do do not show poe dameron the battle for endor bones (laughs) bones <laughs> he can't handle it not only does he make a hang glider i don't know if you notice but they build a campfire out of bones and it's literally just there's no wood in that fire they're just burning bones so september 16th the pitcher is locked peter bernstein returns to do the score the last ilm shot is handed in on november 11th and then on yeah november 24th 1985 ewoks the battle for endor is on abc sunday night movie well, it seems it's it's a true Star Wars movie because it was done what the week before it aired. <laughs> it was right down to the wire. It, it was nominated for three Emmys, and it, again, it was released theatrically in the UK, France, Germany, and Japan. No Dorothy song this time. The ratings weren't quite as good. The theatrical business overseas wasn't quite as good. They had plans for. In Ewok 3, there's an old issue of Starlog where Warwick Davis is talking about how they're going to do Ewok 3. Never happens. The the Ewok movies kind of fade away into myth and legend until, yeah, in 1990, the VHS, and then the DVD comes out. Supposedly after the Ewok movies 2, Aubrey Miller was offered a role on an ABC sitcom, and her parents said no, and yeah, the the legend of the, the Ewok movies kind of went on from there. They kind of like, what were these crazy things that were on TV? MacGyver is taking the night off, but you can see him Wednesday with a special presentation at 8, 7 central. The brakes are gone. Now, an ABC movie special. An ABC premiere presentation from the creator of the Star Wars saga. Noah, here they come. Lucasfilm journeys throughout the heavens for the mightiest combat of the galaxies. In no other lifetime lived any greater evil. There's no escape for you, my little one. Or any grander adventure. Ewoks, the battle for Endor, next. So just like we did with Caravan of Courage, 
let's run through the movie, The Battle for Endor. Let's talk about some highlights because there's a there's a lot that happens in this movie though versus Caravan of Courage. Caravan of Courage, you kind of there's a lot of time to kill of Sindel being sick or them just walking through the woods. There's a lot going on in Battle for Endor. Well, it it starts out well enough with the best friends, Wicket and Sindel, walking through the woods, picking flowers, holding hands. Like, it couldn't start any sweeter. Dad has the main unit repaired. The Wicket's kind of sad that Sindel's leaving. Like, sad, not good. He, we get Wicket's words of wisdom, goodbye, not good. Which is true. Can I leave soon? I guess so. The Star Cruiser's almost fixed. We're gonna have to say goodbye. Goodbye? That's what you say when your friends go away. Goodbye, not good. I don't want to leave here, Wicket, but we can finally go home. Home? It's where we live. It's far away. I was really interested, too, in Sindel talking about how her and Mace have to go back to school and maybe, like, Wicket can go to school with them. And for a minute there, I was spending way too much time thinking about school and Star Wars. Like, we've never really seen Star Wars school. No, the closest we got is is the, the Clone Clone Academy, and that's probably not the way other schools are, I don't think. Or maybe they are. Maybe they're all like the clones and kids just wear helmets and look at screens or they wear headbands or whatever they're wearing i was like trying to think like did was corky in school was like corky and his buddies were they like schoolmates or something was there a school on mandalore or something yeah because that's what that that's what got poisoned wasn't it the school <laughs> wasn't it like the school lunches that got poisoned so, yeah. okay all right all right so yeah it all goes back to corky all the time but i can imagine and i'm glad i don't remember this being a kid watching this the first time and thinking, oh, my God, this movie's going to be Sindel and Wicket in space school and like being really excited for that, <laughs> which makes the next five minutes that much even harder. Because yeah, Wicket smells danger. And yeah, the Ewok village is literally burning to the ground. There's laser blasts all over the place. There's these giant monster guys. There's Ewoks being put in cages. Sindel's bracelet from Caravan of Courage starts beeping. Cut to Mace in the woods with a blaster. Mom's already dead, which Star Wars has a real problem with mom's dying. And Battle for Endor did not do anything to make it better. Well, dads die, too. All the parents die. My my son always tells me I'm better than the dads in Star Wars because I didn't die yet. (laughs) See, he's learning. The, the lessons. Oh. Uh, then Mace is shot like a log falls on him and there's a big explosion. Mace is dead. Dad is being roughed up by the monster guys. And then out of nowhere, out comes a witch. Well, even that, there's this shot of the witch and Tarek. Because before that, watching this again, it was re- making me realize how much the beginning made me f- think of the beginning of the john Melius conan movie <laughs> and it's kind of the same feel where it just starts out with the like the lowest point in conan's life and there's a lot of similarities with just the village getting burned but there's that one shot i think with the dad and he's laying down and then like walking into frame is the witch and Tarak, and it's just like the scene in conan where uh Thulsa doom and the other two dudes walk up to conan's mom 
Milius and Lucas, they were friends. So who knows? Milius was one of the people that saw like the rough cut of the original Star Wars. So yeah, so, yeah maybe dark gloom doom period. Lucas was hanging out with Milius a lot. I don't know. That would make total sense. Total sense. <laughs> Again, the bad guys, the seven foot bad guys, the Marauders. They're, they're just a bunch of guys in rubber masks, and they're all talking, and they're, I want the power. But, like, Tarak is the only one that, like, speaks English. The rest of them, for the longest time, I was just like, I can't understand what any of these people are saying. Before I realized they're actually speaking, like, an alien language, it just, just kind of sounds like... <laughs> Maybe they're death troopers that retired. And when you take the death troopers out of their armor, they're these guys. Because the death troopers are tall and skinny. These guys are tall and skinny. You might you, you might be onto something there. <laughs> the movie's all about death. They're called death troopers. It's the witch turns into a crow. Is it a space crow? Somebody asks Pablo. So then there's there's a beautiful scene with the dad who's like dying and Sindel. Are you all right, sweetheart? Mm-hmm. Mommy and Mace, they're dead. I know, honey, I know. I'm scared. So am I. But we have to be strong now. Do you understand that? Do you remember the story I used to tell you about the little bird who got blown out of his nest during a storm? He had to fly for the first time, didn't he? That's right. He flew and he flew and finally, after the storm, he found his way home. Now, oh, honey, I want you to find Deej. And the Ewoks will help you. Oh, Daddy, I want to stay with you. No, sweetheart, you can't do that. You have to go on without me. You have to be like that little bird. Fly away. I won't. Now listen, you will. Now you do as I say. When I say go, you run. Okay. Sindel, I'll always be with you. I'll always be with you. I love you. Did you cry during that part? A little bit? <laughs> yeah, just a little moist. Sindel takes off, runs away into the forest, and the witch captures her yes again like we said earlier if you're wondering why we're not talking about the witch and all the connections she has to later in star wars stay tuned we've got three more episodes of ewok month on the way and we're we're gonna get to it don't worry well also don't forget before this scene happens and this we get our first introduction to blurgs in in star wars because they're pulling the wagon with the with the with the Ewoks in it that uh, Sindel and Wicket eventually get thrown into, which I still really liked on Disney Gallery when they showed that footage of Blurgs. It was like the grainiest, darkest. Like they found it in a drawer somewhere at Lucasfilm. <laughs> it's it's from Dave Filoni's personal dubbed copy he has at home on on Beta Max. So yeah, they're all put in these cages. You got well, the Wicket and Sindel in cages. And granted, again, this is ten minutes in. Happy Sunday night, kids, watching this along. Wicket and Sindel come up with an escape thing, uh, how they're going to get out of the cage. And yeah, then we get into the the hang glider made of bones. And then a, a stop motion dinosaur bird comes out. This, it's kind of a cool scene because Wicket fights the stop motion dinosaur bird. And it's total Ray Harryhausen. Yeah. Well, and it's full on Ewok 
battle because he he remembers the game of drop the sack and he flies above the dragon and he drops a rock on its head. We get to see Sindel almost fall to her death until Wicket dive bombs and saves her in the goofiest way possible. He lets her fall through the top of the hang glider. So we just see her legs kicking around again. It's pretty dark, <laughs> but it's that perfect, I think, balance of it cuts between the darkest of the dark and the goofiest of the goofy, basically every other shot. So you just don't know. You, you don't know what to feel other than this is crazy. Well, we didn't even talk about it too, but it's 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 the obvious thing that the yeah the whole point of the first movie was getting the family back together. The first one ends with Burl Ives talking about well maybe family is the greatest force in the universe. Right. And this one starts out no none of that death death is the greatest force. <laughs> well, it is. I could see. I think doing a a back to back watch of this might make. The beginning of, of part two sting a little more than if you, you know, have a little bit of distance between watching the first one and the second one. But it's kind of like Empire. The New Hope ends with them blowing up the Death Star and it being a big party. And then by the beginning of Empire, they just get beat down and have to run away. So it's, you know, that's it's just how Lucas did it in the in the in the 80s. So after all this, with the hang glider made of bones. They're dropped in the woods and they're woken up by Teak. And it's kind of a radical shift in tone at this point because we've had like a good 15 minutes of just solid darkness. And now we're introduced to Teak and Teak is incredible. Teak is beautiful. Teak is a legend. And I still wonder to this day, what the heck is Teak? Where did Teak come from? Because Teak is not an Ewok. He lives with Noah, Wilford Brimley, but he didn't come there with Noah. So what is Teak? He's more mysterious than Yoda. Because <laughs> at this point, there's been three of Yoda's species. There's only been one Teak. And who knows? Maybe he's a Jedi. That's how he, he does the Jedi run. Teak was doing it before Phantom Menace. True. Yeah. Teak could have been like, you know, the mysterious spirit in the woods that shows up and guides your hero along to the quest. I don't know. That's true. Maybe, maybe Teak's one of the wills. See, you're onto something there. Teak's been running around, chronicling the, the story, writing the journal. I will say the minute Teak comes on screen, I'm like, I don't care that, it, that her family's dead. I'd rather her live with Wicked and Teak. You need Teak when he shows up. And it's just, it's, it's a person in a suit. It's like an animatronic kind of face. It's just that mid-80s gold of creature effects. It's a puppet. It's not a puppet. It's incredible. It doesn't talk. It just makes faces and noises. They, yeah, so Teak leads them to this house. There's a cabin in Endor. Whatever, you roll with it. It's a total mess. They clean it up. And then in comes Noah. Yelling at him, I don't want no strangers in my house. And this whole scene when Noah comes in, it's the last Jedi. It's Luke with Ray, but it's Noah yelling at Sindel. It's crazy. How'd you get here? He brought us here. He did, huh? <laughs> you nasty little bug lover, I've told you and I've told you I don't want no strangers around this place. And look what you've done. You brought them here and you don't even know who they are. Who are you? My name is Sindel. Yeah, well, who's that? Wicked. Uh, wicked. Look, you've been messing with my stuff. All right, you brought him here. Now you get him out of here. 
I don't want you here. Get out. No place to go. I don't care about that. Now you take him and go. Go on. Come on, Wicked. He doesn't want us here. He's just a mean old man anyway. Come on. The other thing with Noah, is Noah the first on-screen Star Wars person with glasses? I think so, yes. And they're not even like space glasses. They're just like Wilford Brimley glasses. So another thing carrying through time and space to the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian is live-action Star Wars with a character with glasses. And 35 years ago, Wilford Brimley was a Star Wars character with glasses. Things start out a little hostile, but then there's a great scene with Wilford Brimley making muffins for Teak. And Teak is delivering these muffins secretly to Sindel and Wicket out in the woods. Yeah, there's a great part where it appears Teak has eaten all the muffins and Wilford Brimley's like, you were really hungry. And Teak just says, roll, roll. I'm going over that stove and get me some more soup. Whatever you do, you stay right where you are. Thank you. You are hungry. (laughs) Wilford Brimley's got a lot of great moments in there, too, just because, one, it's Star Wars food, which is always a reason to celebrate. And he's just saying crazy stuff like he opens the stove and he's like, there's some kind of little muffins in here. (laughs) Just (laughs) all kinds of nonsense. Maybe that was why he was mad at the Wheat Brothers that day, because they made him say some kind of little muffins. It's Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Again, the changing mood of the Battle for Endor can make you a little delirious. It's an exhausting movie to watch, but that's kind of like Star Wars, I guess, in a way, because it's complete and total death and darkness and hang gliders made of bones and then weird little Ewok gremlin people eating muffins. And then Wicket sets his butt on fire. (laughs) Just in case you forgot. (laughs) But just when you're trying to come to terms with Wicket and his butt on fire, then it cuts to Sindel having a nightmare about everybody getting killed again. Yeah, she runs over to Noah, and Noah's one of the monster, the rubber mask people. And if you thought a cabin on Endor was weird, then we cut to like a medieval castle on Endor, because why not? The the rubber mask people, their whole thing is they want the, the the power... Which is basically, if you think about it, they want the coaxium. Yeah. But if you really want to think about it, they want a battery. (laughs) The spaceship has a battery and they're like, oh, this thing powers the spaceship. It must be the most powerful thing in the in the universe. It's the power of the stars. (laughs) They're they're idiots. (laughs) Because then the witch isn't much better because she's trying to do magic on the battery, the coaxium battery, trying to get it to go. I don't really know what their goal is. I mean, are the marauders did they crash on Endor? Because they're they're not native of Endor, but they had the time to build a castle. Yeah, I don't know, because maybe they maybe they did. They were native. Maybe they built the castle and they're just like, you know, they're not very smart. So as a as a species, they're kind of on their last leg here because it doesn't seem like they've ever been into space. They don't understand it. If they get if they get the battery working, where are they going to go? They don't have a spaceship. That That's their dilemma. They don't know what a battery is or does or a spaceship does. They don't want to power something with it. They want to power. He wants to power himself with the power. He wants the witch to somehow put the power from the battery into him. Ah, yes. 
<laughs> so yeah, we got Ewoks in cages and prison. And then after that, we cut to Sindel and Wicket and they're making pies for Noah. And there's a big long scene where Noah comes home and he's like, I've never had pie quite this good. They go out exploring. They find this crashed star cruiser. Noah finds them. He gets mad. Turns out that this uh, crashed star cruiser is Noah's old ship. And he said him and this guy, Salak, went out to go tear up the galaxy, but they crashed. And Salak's never coming back. Which I'm like, man, what? What was young Wilfred Brimley and this mysterious Salak in the Star Wars galaxy? They were just out to tear up the galaxy. Yeah, where is that a Star Wars story story of Noah and Salak causing a ruckus? <laughs> Can we get the Ewok movie certain point of view? One day, maybe. Maybe a Forces of Destiny short with uh, Noah and Salak. So uh, after that, back at Noah's place, they're just having a party. And there's a wonderful scene with Wilford Brimley play- playing a space flute. George Lucas knows what, what we like. He makes sure that it's in his films. And yeah, we get to see Noah playing the flute. Just in case you're thinking, hey, this is a fun scene. People are playing the flute and dancing. Sindel kills the mood by saying, do you think Salak is dead? My family is too. Yeah, this is where it gets dark again. But it's, this is, it's, I I liked this scene because it was like, for what it is, it's kind of sweet. It's like a sweet Hallmark movie kid talking about dead parents scene. I don't know. I think I teared up a little bit in this one when she hugs when she hugs Noah at the end. It was kind of sweet. After this kind of heart-to-heart about dead friends and dead family members, then Sindel sings her very sad lullaby. My star keeps me company and leads me through the night. My star watches over me and fills my dreams with light. Something's changed, but something shines forever as they are. In the sky, shining high, my star. Her star song. So just when you think, maybe things are pretty dark, but this is okay. Sindel's out in the next morning, and she's hearing a voice singing the lullaby that we just heard. And she pretty much walks into Ridley Scott's legend. Because there's this ethereal, like, woman in white down by the river, and there's, like, a white horse. It's like, how do you know that song? And she's like, come closer, little girl. Blammo, it turns out to be the witch. She takes Sindel. They go off to the castle. And then we get an amazing scene of Noah getting geared up to rescue Sindel, like, commando style. Yeah, buttoning all the buttons on his shirt. <laughs> Just in case he ever wanted to see Wilford Brimley. Tightening the laces on his shoes and putting a blaster in a holster. Meanwhile, at the castle, the main guy, Tarek, is a total idiot. And he thinks Sindel can somehow make the power work. Sindel's like, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, this is a battery. We put it in flashlights. I don't know what you're talking about, right? He's like, make it work. Teak, Wicket, and Noah, they all walk to the castle. The witch and Sindel are both in jail. And just when you think maybe like we're going to get to like a uplifting rescue scene... The witch points out, hey, you see that skeleton over there? 
in the jail cell, that's Salik. That's Noah's buddy. Noah's buddy he's been waiting for for 40 years. Just a pile of bones. And they point to the skeleton and show the skeleton like 10 times. It's an extra sad looking skeleton. He has like clothes on still. It's really <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Uh, so Noah, Wicket, and Teak, they sneak into the castle with the classic three Ewoks stacked on top of each other in like a giant coat trick like straight out of a Warner Brothers cartoon. Really at this point the movie kind of kicks the slapstick and just overt goofiness into overdrive because they start just before that with the with the old climbing a wall rope gag where you tie the rope around the bad guy and throw him off the side to pull Noah up. We get the yeah the Ewoks pretending to be a tall person in a cloak. And then we get potentially one of the best scenes in the whole movie, the card playing guys. Where there's like 10 minutes of two guards playing cards and just what Teak while stealing keys slides a card into the one guy's sleeve. So the other guy thinks he's cheating and then they end up finally what shooting each other. <laughs> it goes on for so long of just these two marauder guys. It's a little bit of solo from 1984, 85. Those are those Sabak cards? Like they almost look like. <laughs> they totally do. They totally look like Sabak cards. So yeah, Noah sets like charges, which are the same charges from Return of the Jedi, which are kind of cool. And they blow a hole on the side of the castle to escape. You got a whole lot of shots of Ewoks like going across on a rope, which is really cool. Before they escape, though, Sindel has to say to Noah, I'm sorry about Salak. And again, they point at the skeleton and show it just one last time, just in case you were up getting popcorn during that part. Yeah. Wilford Brimley needs to see it. He can't just hear about it. You need to see it. So, yeah, they all escape. And then it's all out war with the Marauders on Endor. The, the bunch of Marauders are coming in on stop motion blurgs. It's incredible. Right, there's deleted Return of the Jedi scenes mixed in there. The thing that I thought was really cool is when they get to Noah's ship and they turn it on and start fighting back, Noah's ship is shooting blue lasers, which we didn't really get back then. But like with Clone Wars, the clones were always shooting blue lasers. So it was like a little taste of the future. If you ever wanted to see Wilford Brimley at a Star Wars gun turret, just yelling out random stuff. Shooting at guys in rubber masks. Aha! Do not come around bothering me. There's a great scene where an Ewok pulls a fast one on a marauder, and when the Ewok is running away, he says, Ha ha, Zerdo! Well, back to the him and the gun turret, too. Did you notice, like, when Teak's firing the blue laser, it's like Star Wars and it's a laser gun. But Wilford Brimley's laser cannon doesn't shoot lasers. It just shoots fire. Because when they show him in the turret, you see fire coming out of the gun. And then when they cut to the, the aftermath, it's just an explosion. So he literally has, like, an explosion cannon on his ship. Oh, and also during all this, too, you get amazing shots of... Ewoks picking up the blasters and the Ewoks running through the woods firing blasters, which is something we never got in Return of the Jedi. That was one of the things I thought was really cool with this, though, is that we get it's kind of like, OK, this is the end of Return of the Jedi again. But now this time the Ewoks have guns and they're using catapults and stuff, but they're building the catapults out of metal instead of logs. It's like these are advanced Ewoks. They've either 
evolved or devolved into into being <laughs> worse than they they're not the noble creatures of the forest they were before because they're using like gun turrets and stuff too like they're not messing around this time it kind of makes me feel uncomfortable a little yeah. bit yeah so finally with Tarak and Wilford Brimley there's a final duel where if you ever wanted to see Wilford Brimley with a stick fighting a giant guy in a rubber mask that has a giant, like a giant sword. They're going at it. It's, it's a pretty slow sword fight. It's no Nick Gillard stuff here. It's basically two very old men who are very angry fighting. Wicket, like what, shatters the necklace and dis- disintegrates like a power stone or something that Tara had around his neck? Did you quite understand what happens in the end? Yeah, he stole... The ring from the witch that allows her to transform into the bird, trapping her in bird form. And he wears it around his neck and Wicket hits that with a rock, causing the magic in the ring to explode and burn him to a crisp, killing him and forever trapping the witch as a bird. Makes total sense to me. Totally. That sounds like Star Wars to me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. So she flies away. Bad guy like burns to a crisp while Sindel and all the Ewoks watch it. It's kind of weird. And I guess uh, I guess after that, everything's OK now. Noah says goodbye to the Ewoks and Teak. And Noah says that uh, Teak has a sweet spirit, giving him a hug. Wicket's a great warrior. <laughs> but I was all kind of pumped up by the end fight. And then at this point, everyone's crying because they don't want, they're like, they're a family again. But Noah and Sindel just have to leave. And just Sindel's crying so much. I think Wicket even cries. Doesn't he wipe his eyes? They can't actually make him cry, but he wipes his eyes. His giant Battle for Endor eyes <laughs> that he has in this movie for some reason. Yeah. Yes. Sindel's crying. She says, I'll be back. And I, this scene also just reminded me a lot of Phantom Menace. Like, I will come back and free you, Mom. It's very Phantom Menace. Well, up until it turns into Last Jedi when Sindel's standing in the doorway looking down at them and the door closes. It's like right out of the end of Last Jedi. It also is a lot like E.T. too, which again was still a very hot thing around this time. Yeah. Yeah, and then we see what... Noah's ship taking off, which it's a pretty cool Star Wars ship. And if you watch the end credits, it was built by Lauren Peterson. Which I'm like, man, where is that in the archives? Like, do people go to the the archives at Skywalker Ranch? And they're like, what's this cool Star Wars ship? Well, that's Noah's ship from the Battle for Endor. It's probably still there, right? I hope so. Or it's in Lauren Peterson's house. But I I really liked that extra ending because it is after everyone crying. And it's almost like sad because you're like, I don't want them to leave i want them to live with the ewoks at least we get teak and wicket who are now new best friends running and kind of laughing as they watch their friends fly away in their spaceship their star cruiser when i didn't realize too that the vhs version and then later the dvd version was kind of a special edition because there were a lot of scenes in the end battle that they had to cut and sindel's nightmare when it was originally submitted to abc it was a little too scary so the vhs and the dvd versions are different and there's some maniac on youtube that has like a tv recorded vhs version and went through and showed you how battle for endor in true star wars fashion changed from release to release oh that's the best well and yeah ewoks 3 it never happened. The trilogy has never been completed. And I got to wonder, too, like, where do Sindel and Noah go? 
if Ewoks 3 would have happened, would we have learned that Sindel was actually the granddaughter of Palpatine's clone? I kept thinking that because the last shot's them flying away from Endor and you can see the moon, the the other moon in the sky, that they just crash on that next moon. (laughs) So somehow the next movie, they can see Endor in the sky and they have to figure out how to get back. But... It's never too late for a part three. It's like J.J. Abrams had to tease us with showing Wicket how he is at the end of the sequel trilogy and his son. So they're still on Endor waiting for Sindel to come back. It could still happen. It could be a book. We don't even, it doesn't even have to be a movie. We could have a book. We could have a comic. There's so many things going on with Star Wars now. We could, the continuing adventures of Sindel and the Ewok. She could come back to see her Ewok buddies. But then you have to deal with canon and all blah, blah, blah. Maybe that's what Ryan Johnson's trilogy was about. It was a time a time period that hasn't been explored. And it's the time period 150 years in the future when the Ewok movies take place. After that, when Sindel comes back to Endor. Well, looking back at the battle for Endor, yes, it is dark. It is weird. It's very intense. Like we said in the beginning, it's possibly the strangest, weirdest thing that's ever come out of Lucasfilm. But that's part of its charm right it's it's part of what makes it so special and so strange yeah because it's that rare star wars that isn't afraid to not be star wars but is still enough of star wars to be star wars and there's not a lot of those with how much star wars we have these days of things that just go totally out there well and like we had said earlier it it really does remind me a lot of Temple of Doom and it's you know it's a Lucasfilm thing that came out in that time period when he was going through his divorce and things were kind of rough and it was a, another movie like Temple of Doom that was different in tone than its predecessor and kind of got worse reviews possibly not because it was worse but because it just wasn't what people expected and then you know years later going back i think people are starting to appreciate temple of doom more for what it is and hopefully people will go back someday and appreciate battle for endor for what it is but there's a great quote from lucas on temple of doom that i think is fitting with battle for endor as well where he says you know i like temple of doom but is it fun to think about the stuff emotionally for us? He shook his head sadly and slowly answered, no. (laughs) It was a rough time for him, but I think the movie speaks for itself. It's a good time. And it deserves to have a, a a bust in the archive of the Jedi with all the other Star Wars movies. It shouldn't be part of the the Lost 2 or the Lost 3. Or the Lost... Four with the uh, holiday special, what, Gendy Clothes Wars, the other Ewok movies. It, its bust should be right next to Dooku. <laughs> <laughs> Where the Ewoks are celebrating because Earth kids love their Ewok family hut. We can help the tropical Skywalker. Hurry, Ewoks. Let's take the wagon, Princess Nisa. The Ewoks save the day. Yay! It's a galaxy of fun. The Ewok family hut comes with everything you see here. A wicked the Ewok toy. You from Kenner. Oh, 
And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. last week but we've got a giveaway going on during ewok movie month and if you share something you made a drawing poetry recipe performance art dance knitting any way that you are celebrating ewok month and if you post it on instagram or twitter with the hashtag ewok movie month you are entered to win this amazing prize which is these little Ewok adventure card backs and sticker from our friends at Nerd Matters who make incredible pins. And we got some great entries this past week. It was really hard picking a winner for this week. Yeah, it was a tough choice. But for this week, we've got to go with an incredible pencil drawing of Wicket with a little thing of Sindel and Wicket holding hands next to each other at the bottom by Kendall Schroeder. He posted it on Instagram, and it is beautiful. So, Kendall, you are going to get one of these one of these card backs, one of these little card backs from Nerd Matters. It's it's beautiful. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you everyone for entering, and don't be discouraged. Basically, if you make something, do something, and hashtag it Ewok Movie Month. You will be entered to win every week all the way through Ewok Movie Month. So if you did something this week and you didn't win this week, you are still in the running for next week and the next week and the next week and the next week after that. (laughs) (laughs) So keep sending stuff in. And yeah, and if you want to leave us a review over there on Apple Podcasts, it helps the show in mysterious bone hang glider ways. And we will read your review on an upcoming show. It's like the iTunes reviews are the opposite of Poe Dameron and Bones, because when he sees Bones, he wants to run away. But when the Internet sees iTunes reviews, it wants to run towards it. (laughs) Something like that. And after that, check out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com, which is probably the best place to search through the backlog of episodes uh any episodes that have been posted on the website are all tagged so if you want to search for something in particular that is the place to do it and make sure you follow us on instagram twitter facebook and if you're still using facebook then you gotta be in the blast point super chill group that can basically be the only thing you use facebook for it's the best thing on facebook right now And if you want to support the show in a different way, we've got the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon, where we've got all of our old reviews for Clone Wars and Mandalorian and the Disney Gallery, and we've got tons of commentaries, and we've got a bunch of fun stuff coming this month, September, over there on the Blast Points Army Patreon. And if you're paying attention to the world around you, we now know Mandalorian is coming at the end of October, so starting in November, there will be Mandalorian Patreon episodes every week through the entire season. All the way through the rest of the year. So, <laughs> <laughs> so something else to look forward to on the Last Points Army. Well, and next week, guess what? It's more Ewoks. <laughs> next week, we might have a special guest, and we might be getting deep. 
getting deep into some Ewok stuff. It's going to be fun. But that about wraps up episode 234, The Battle for Endor. I think we survived the battle, just barely. I would say goodbye, but goodbye not good. (laughs) See you next week. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. Yes, yes! Cinder, come back! Visit Wicked! May the fall!